open up your Bibles, if you would, to Mark 1. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. You say, what's the difference? The Old Testament starts with Genesis. In its simplest form, it's before Jesus was born. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and Mark is in the New Testament. It's Matthew, then Mark. Mark 1, talking about intentional prayer. You know, I've said this before, but the truth of the matter is, our prayer life takes on kind of three forms. One, one uh, form is what I would call formal prayer life. And when I say formal prayer life, it's praying at times we're supposed to. Like I know when I was a child, you know, kid growing up in the household, that we prayed over our meal. And our prayer went something like this. Come Lord Jesus and be our guest. Let thy gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Anybody ever say a prayer like that over your meal or anything like that? Yeah, so yeah, the, the rest of you need to get saved. So anyway, but here's the thing. <laughs> Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, that's, that's the only, only dinner prayer. Anyway, so um, I know some of you are like, good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. But we, we don't want to do that one. So, but, but anyway, it was just, you know, one of those things that when we pray, you know, it was just kind of like, this is the time that we pray. You know, we'll pray over an event, we'll pray over a meal. It's just kind of, it's, it's formal praying. It's that type of thing. Then the other kind of prayer is what I call crisis praying. And crisis praying is anytime that we're in trouble, you know, our back's kind of against the wall, we're kind of at our last resort, we pray. Now, let me just say this. I'm, I'm not shaming anybody that has had a crisis prayer life. You know what? There have been seasons in my life where my prayer life has been a crisis prayer life. And we're better to run than to Jesus when we're in a hard place. If you're in a hard place right now and you know, I've really prayed much and the preacher's talking about crisis prayer, I'm not shaming you. Run to him. Run to him. Oh, Pastor Rick, I've made so many favors. Yeah, me too. Me too. I get it. I get it. But you run to Jesus. You know, I, I, the guy I think about the most when it comes to Christ's praying is a guy named uh, Samson in the Old Testament. And he was a guy that was called of God. God used him in some great ways. He had some great things coming. But there's only two times that we ever see Samson prayed in the Old Testament. And both times were times he was in trouble. One time he just fought this huge battle and he's about to die of thirst, you know. And then another time was... Um, when he was at the end of his life and he was asking God to kind of revenge what had taken place, you know, to him. But, but because it was crisis praying, there were things going on in his life that he had no idea of because they were things that only God could reveal to him. Matter of fact, at the worst moment in his life, it says that he rose up to go against his enemies and that like he had before, but he didn't know that the spirit of the Lord had left him. In other words, that God's presence wasn't engaged with him at that moment or at that time. And so even though God in his goodness hears us in our crisis praying, whenever things are, you know, you know, just desperate, and again, he's good, he hears us, that even though he hears us in those times, that the problem with it is, is that there are things that take place in our life that we still need him, that he makes us aware of. And so the last one is what I call intentional or relational praying. And in that, it's regardless of what season we're in. Things are good, we're connecting and engaging with God. Things are bad, we're connecting and engaging with God. It doesn't matter, it's just kind of a part of our regular life. And again, you know, one of the things we say around here, I'll say around here a lot like every week, so I hope you get it, and that is that Jesus didn't come because humanity needed another religion. He came so that we could have a relationship with him and with our Heavenly Father. But in relationships, we talk. And so... Prayer was never intended to be the last act of desperation. It was never intended to be a formality that just kind of affirms or validates an event or an activity. It was intended to be the fuel by which our relationship with him is renewed and kept fresh daily. And so Jesus was the greatest intentional relational prayer. 
And so we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 21. I'm going to read several verses here to kind of give you an idea of what his ministry was like at the beginning, and we'll take it to a point here. So in verse 21, it says this, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked Jesus, they asked excitedly. It has such authority even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared for a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So I want you to get a picture of Jesus. His ministry is beginning. He's an upcoming rabbi, and you know, and so... He's getting, starting to have followers and that type of thing. And all of these things are taking place in his ministry. He's preaching the word with authority. People are coming to him that are sick and he's praying for them and they're being healed. Even demon-possessed people are showing up and they're being freed of just being shackled by this evil presence. I mean, people are being liberated and set free. Just these great things taking place in all of this. And so as that comes to close, I mean, it's event after event, meeting after meeting, moment after moment, experience after experience, and then he finds a place to sleep, and look how he begins his next day. His next day starts with this, before daybreak. The next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He got up the next day and went out to an isolated place to pray. You know, one of the things that he did was, was that he had a specific time and a specific place that he chose. It was one of those things that he did, that he did, you know, and, and for all of us, you know, that, that's what we're called to do. It, it, again, it, it just, it, it kind of stirs up that encounter with God. It, it moves us into that moment of relationship with him. You know, I'm fully convinced, and, and this is one of those things I'll say again and again, but I think there's two reasons why most of our prayer lives are either crisis or ceremonial. Why very few of us have, have intentional or relational prayer lives. I think one is, is quite honestly, we're going to be honest about it. I think we have no idea the impact that our prayers have on situations and circumstances. I, I just want to encourage you right now. That if you've been discouraged not to pray because you've been praying and it seems like nothing is happening, just because you don't see God moving doesn't mean he's not moving. Just because you don't see a way doesn't mean that God's not making a way. He hears your prayers. That when we come to him, when we come to our Father in Jesus' name, 
that heaven's attention is gotten, not because we're coming upon our own exploits or anything like that, but because we're coming to him in the name of Jesus. When we approach him and go, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, automatically heaven's attention is gotten because of that name, because of the name of Jesus. So keep praying. Heaven hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. Keep praying for your marriage. Don't give up on it. Keep praying for it. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for them. You may be the only one who's lifting their voice up to heaven. I'll just be real transparent with you, man. As I get older, I, I just think about, you know, that, that as time goes on, you know, eventually if the Lord tarries, you know, at some point, you know, I'll pass and go to heaven. And, you know, my grandkids will still be here. So I pray. I want my prayers to be something that carries them even after I'm gone. Even after I'm gone, that, that still, that because God is eternal, that he's not limited to now. That when I pray that my prayers, his presence carries my prayers into the future. And they're waiting on my grandkids. They're waiting on the things that I encounter, the things that I experience. Again, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that James 5 says that, that the prayer of, of a righteous person, a person right standing with God, it makes great power available. It has a great effect. It says this in Acts chapter 10, one of the very first non-Jews to become a Christian was a guy named Cornelius. And when an angel appeared to him, it says that the two things that stuck out in heaven, number one is, is how good he was to the poor. That God noticed how good he was, how generous he was to poor people. But the second thing is he said, he's heard your prayers too. You know, I wonder if Cornelius was aware of that. I wonder if he knew, or if it was just one of those things he just felt drawn and compelled to do. So you keep praying. Keep praying. Don't, don't stop. Be fervent in prayer. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your health. Keep praying for that situation, for those circumstances. Keep praying for direction. Keep praying for God to reveal his purpose to you. Keep praying for him to reveal more of who he is to you. But I think the second reason why we don't pray enough is because we've always viewed it as a religious duty or a religious responsibility. Just something else to kind of check off, you know, check off of the boxes. Well, we've done that now. We've prayed. Now we can watch TV. Now we can have tacos. You know, I mean, just, it's never a bad day to have tacos. Anyway, so, so you know, that with all of those things, you, just, you, you know, I, I think we lose sight of the fact that we're, we're in a genuine conversation with our Father. That Jesus hears us. That we can talk with him. And I know we're all wired different, and that may look different for you than it does for me, you know. You may be a person that you're like, okay, I do, I do this at this time every day. I go to a private room. I shut the doors. I turn off the TV. You know, I just, I spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes or what, you know, it's very specific for you. And that's what works for you. That's important. Some of you, man, I mean, that you have a commute on the way to work, and so you spend time radio off, and you're engaged with God. Whatever you do, please, Lord, don't, don't close your eyes while you're praying. But anyway, you're, you're doing that. And, you know, and so it looks, may look different. The important thing is, are you connecting with God today? Are you engaged with him? Are you, are you leaning into his presence? Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm grateful to you. Thank you for being, thank you for being patient with me. Lord, forgive me for the stupid things I've done. Thank you for not giving up on me. God, my life is yours. Whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. I, you, know, you know, challenge me today. Confront me. Because when we're engaged in a real relationship with Jesus, he challenges us. You know, he changes us. But the healthiest prayer life we can have is an intentional one. Because it's not based upon my circumstances. 
It's connected to my relationship with him and to my confidence in God's goodness, that he hears me, that he hears you when you pray for your kids. Oh, Pastor Rick, I started praying for my kids and they just got crazier. I get it. I get it, man. Jesus told the devil to come out of one guy's kid and he, he lost his mind. But then he got free. Amen. Keep praying. Your prayers are making a difference. Keep praying. It's, it's the way that we engage. That and the word of God are the ways that we engage in a relationship with the Lord. That he speaks to us. That it's fresh. It's not just religious. That life is imparted to us. That he does that for us. So number one is this, is that a healthy prayer life is intentional. Pray every day, engage every day. How long? That's, that's different for all of us. Sometimes some seasons are different. But just do it. Let's keep reading there. So in verse 35, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place uh, to pray. And then it says this, later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone, everybody say Everyone. Everyone is looking for you. Now, we saw what Jesus' day was like the day before, and yet, even with all of those great things happening the day before, that he still got up the next morning and went and prayed. Now, he was early in his ministry. His ministry had just began. Again, he was kind of a new and, and rising rabbi among them, you know. And, and, you know, in our education system, a lot of times we'll say, what are you taking? What classes are you taking? Stuff like that. Back then among the Jews, among the Hebrews, that it wasn't necessarily what are you taking. They were saying, who's your rabbi? Who's your teacher? And that really said something about him. And so he's beginning to develop. His, uh, his followers are beginning to come to him. And so they're, they're, pretty, they're just getting introduced to Jesus and who he is. And so I don't know if, if, this, if they were already familiar enough with him to know that this was kind of commonplace or if they just discovered, if they just kind of had gotten up and gone, dude, where's Jesus? And people are, hey, where's Jesus? All those great things. And they're looking for him. And so the disciples begin to go look for him. And then eventually Simon says to him, uh, it says, everybody's looking for you. And here's the reality of it is, is that we, you know, that Jesus experienced this just like you and I do. He experienced the same things we do. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at that, if you understand there really is an implication there. And we say everyone's looking for you. In other words, people have expectations of you. There are things they want you to do. I mean, we live in a culture that it, it, it can be just so challenging. You can feel pulled by people in every different direction. And so many times, we, you know, there's so many people wanting things from us, needing things from us, and we don't want to disappoint anybody, and we just feel inadequate and just overwhelmed, and we find ourselves just trying to meet every person's need and not doing any of them well, and we, just, we get to the point of exhaustion where eventually we just kind of throw our hands up in there, and we're not engaged in anything. And the thing about prayer is this, is it keeps us free from the expectations of people. If you're in, life, you're in your world right now, so many people are pulling on you, I just can't make anybody happy. I can't make anybody, everybody wants things from me, and you don't know who to say no to, and what to say yes to, and that type of thing. There's something about spending time with God that he reminds us that we have an audience of one to please. And that he begins to set our agenda. He begins to reveal, you know, he begins to reveal to me, you know, what it is that he has for me and what matters to him in my life. It's just a lot easier when I'm connected to that and I know that. 
And I know that, you know, I could be doing all of these other things. I know that maybe saying no to this person, that they may be disappointed. It's wild when you think about how many times people get offended, not by anything we've done, but because of things that we didn't do that they had an expectation of us to do. And man, in our culture, it can just be a constable. And you know, in fairness, probably to somebody, we've all been guilty of that ourselves in some form or fashion. And some of you, and this is a small percentage, some of you that like, you know, the part of you where there's empathy, hurting people's feelings, it doesn't matter to you. You're okay with that. But the rest of us, we have a heart. And so it bothers us, you know, whenever, whenever we, that was supposed to be funny. Anyway, you know, it bothers us whenever, uh, thank you for laughing, whenever we hurt people's feelings. And, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's no way, there's no way that we can satisfy everybody's expectations. But you know, here's the thing about this, we weren't called to. And, and the way we get clarity in our life is when we begin to intentionally pray, God, God begins to reveal to us what should matter to us. And you say, how do I know? Because he'll speak to you about the stuff. He'll speak to me like in an audible voice. Well, he could. He's never done that to me. Some of you that are kind of new to church are like, Whew, you know, so I mean, but if any will, he'll deal with you and you're, and you're like on the inside, he'll just, he'll just, convict you about stuff, give you God thoughts, just, just reveal to you. you know? So there, there are things that I know matter to him. You know, one of the things that always matters to him is my marriage. He cares about that. He cares about my role as a dad, even though my kids are adults now. He cares about those things. He cares about my role as a pastor and, you know, him calling me to be a part of this congregation, of this assembly, that what he's called us to do and, and to just, you know, to position us to receive from him. You know, to help everybody understand that none of us here are the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. And so to keep all of that in mind and so that, you know, that to, to stay free from all of these things pulling on us, people that are well-meaning putting all these expectations on you, Always wanting you to do things. Always wanting to be a part of that. And man, you know, and because you're good-hearted, you want to and that type of thing. But it's just, it's physically and emotionally impossible to be everything to everybody. Amen. Well, Pastor Rick, what do I do? That I feel like such a failure. Don't be everything to bear everybody. Be to Jesus who he's called you to be. Amen. And when you think about the, one of the first martyrs in the New Testament was a guy named Stephen. And he was sharing, people got convicted by what he was sharing, and, and they were so angry at him that eventually they took him to a place, and they took off their coats, and they began to lay him at the feet of this young Pharisee named Saul. And they began to pick up rocks and throw them at him. And it was at a place where I'm sure he had to feel just in the natural overwhelmed with all of the hate that was coming towards him, with all of the anger there was not anybody in the circle with him at that time to help him or to encourage him. But a lot of the scripture points this out, that while he's experiencing this overwhelming crowd of people that disapprove of him and who he is, that he sees in heaven, and at that moment he sees Jesus stand up. You can have the disapproval of the world and Jesus give you a standing ovation in heaven. And you've done what you're called to do. And so, but the place that we find that out is with him. Not just when things are just falling apart, when our world is breaking into pieces, but when we spend time with him 
And he reveals to us what he has for us and what matters to him and what he's called us to do and how he's called us to give our time and our resources. That's where we find it out. So number two is this, is that it keeps us free from the expectations of people. Let's look at this last one. We'll close the message part with this. So it says, later Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. So in other words, even though they had all these expectations of him, he's like, we're going to go to these other towns. I'm going to preach to them and do the things that God's called me to do. We're going to do all these things. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. In other words, doing the very same thing in those other towns that he had done in this town, in the, you know, the town the day before. He went out and did those things. And here's the thing that intentional prayer does for us. Number three is this. It equips us with what we need. It gives us what we need, the the things that we need in that moment, the things that we need in ministry throughout the day, that he equips us. I can't tell you how many times I spent time with God, and then all of a sudden he'll begin to bring a verse to my mind and just kind of reveal it to me, and I'll begin to look at it, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, maybe someday he'll bring a verse to me about being patient. You know, that, you know, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be complete and entire, lacking nothing. And I'm like, oh, okay, brought that verse up to me. And then later on, guess who shows up? That individual that always requires me to operate in patience every time I'm around them. I didn't know we were going to have an encounter today, but God did. There's other times, man, whenever, you know, he just brings up the love scriptures. Hey, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another just as I've loved you. I'm like, okay, that's great. And then all of a sudden, man, something comes up. Somebody says something, does something, you know, you know just in some way I'm challenged. And lo and behold, he had prepared me ahead of time. That when we go into his presence, the things that we need, he equips us with. And, and you're welcome. You know, so many times we stay away from him because, because of our past. That we let shame stand between us. But Jesus came so that your past would not be something that limits you from what God has called you to do, but it gives your failure context so it becomes part of your story and you become a trophy of the grace of God and everything that he's called you to do. And you show up to his presence and it's like you're welcome there. The Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Boldly doesn't sound like, I don't belong here. It sounds like you're welcome here. And again, not because I'm somebody or I'm special, but because of what Jesus did for us is so great that everything that stood between me and my father when I received Jesus, that that's been removed out of the way. You know, in our home, man, my wife, she is the queen snack getter. I mean, she just, now, when we first got married, she would get snacks, but she got horrible snacks. You know, like spam-flavored ice cream, broccoli-swirled cookies, you know, things like that. And so she would get cookies, and then sometimes I would go to the store, and I'd bring back Chips Ahoy or Oreos. You're getting hungry, right? And so I'd bring those things back, and like, when I get mine back, it it was like I would pull up in the driveway, and the kids knew when Dad went to the store it was like those food drops that you used to see. They would come running out before I could get parked. I'm trying not to hit them with my car. And so eventually they would get them, and then those cookies would be gone in like 30 minutes. And she would say to me, my cookies last so much longer. I'm like, yeah, because nobody likes them. We could be in the middle of a nuclear holocaust. 
And we would set them out because it would set, they would keep the mutant mice and cockroaches away from us. And those things would still be fresh. So I had to help her. Obviously, I know a little bit more about eating snacks than my wife does. And so, but a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, one of the grandkids was over, it was June, and so we had this cupboard, and Tina had just been to the store, and I love this, June opens up that cupboard, and she's kind of sitting there, and she's kind of got her June smile on, and she goes, Nina, you have all of my favorite things here. I don't know which one to get. Now, I don't know what happened, but I'm sure Tina just loaded up stuff and gave it to her, you know, and that kind of thing, and she walked out of there with everything, but, but I just thought, it's just... From this standpoint, it's just such a picture of our Heavenly Father, not from the fact that he's our errand boy or cookie provider, but from the standpoint that she just knew she was welcome there, that we were just glad she was there, that we're just welcome in his presence. Now, when we encounter him, he changes us, he challenges us, he confronts us about our sin, but he loves us being there. And so praying, man, it prepares us it equips me with the things I need to be the husband that I've called, been called to be. It equips me with the things I need to parent my kids and to be the grandfather he's called. It, he equips me with what, he, what I need to pastor people that he loves, to remind me that you're not mine, you're his. And the only reason why I get a privilege to be in your life is because he trusts me to love you the way that he does. I only get that in his presence. I don't get it when I'm out here trying to meet everybody else's needs, everybody else's expectations. Trying to do my own thing. I only get it with him. And he just willingly gives it. Just relentlessly. And so prayer no longer becomes a responsibility or a checklist, it becomes a privilege. If I go into my father's presence, I'm welcome there even though he knows the things that I've done. He knows my secrets. That they're as clear to him as my public issues. And yet I'm invited into his presence because of what Jesus has done. I don't go based upon my own accomplishments or my own achievements. I go there based upon what Jesus did upon the cross. And the fact that he was raised from the dead and I'm welcome there. Whatever you're struggling with today, whatever's tried to hang on to you, the enemy will come and tell you and go, you're not welcome. You're not welcome at church. God doesn't care about you in that time. All those things are lies. I'm glad you're here. I hope you have an encounter with Jesus where he reveals who he is to you and what he has for you. And that whatever wounds you carry from your past, whatever shame or guilt you carry from your past, as you encounter his presence, he cleans you off. He cleans you off and he invites you in. And he reveals to you what he has for you and he shows you what matters. And he equips you for what's ahead. You only get that with him. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. While they're doing that, if you signed up for baptism, you can go ahead and begin to make your way out. You'll go out into the hallway out here and somebody will greet you but I want you just to spend a moment with God. Just here in this time, and maybe you haven't talked to him in a long time, or maybe every time you've talked to him, it's just felt formal. It's just felt ceremonial. Or it's just felt desperate. And it's okay, again, if you're in a desperate place today, it's okay, he loves you. He loves your, des your desperate voice is better than your absent voice. 
just connect with him in this moment. Just you and him. Not the religious you. Not the church you. You. You connect with him. You talk to him. Let's just spend a moment with God.